This is the Empowered Conversations with Aline and Christina podcast. We are two educators of color that have been in the game for over 15 years. Thanks for joining us as we break down and speak on systems that were not built for Black, Indigenous people of color and the ways we address them head on. As we lean on each other in this work, it would be big for us if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Also, follow us on Instagram at Aline and Christina, where we build community and support one another in this work. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Conversations podcast with Aline and Christina, episode 38. I'm Aline, co-host of this podcast. And it's just going to be me to intro this podcast episode. Last episode, it we I mentioned that we're re-releasing uh, the episodes on our educational journeys because we wanted to reestablish the roots and the foundation of why we decided to do the podcast, why we decided to go into coaching school leaders. Um, and so... As we're working on new content for you all in August, we decided to re-release some of our foundational episodes. So you got to hear Christina's educational journey last week, um, and this time it's going to be my educational journey and the story of kind of my why, and um, lets you all know a little bit more about who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Conversations podcast with Aline and Christina. This is first semester, episode three. For the past two periods or episodes, Aline has been leading our conversations. So we're going to change things up tonight and I'll be leading it. So let's begin. First of all, how are you, Aline? How has your work been? Hey, Christina. I'm doing okay. Um, I guess work is busy, you know, springtime around this time, counselors are working on programming and getting students scheduled for their classes for next year and, you know, getting all of our incoming students and programming them for their first year of high school. Um, so it's just, and it's it's been different because, you know, scheduling, like doing these types of presentations or going over classes with students is just different over a computer versus being in person with them. And this is like my first time, obviously doing programming through virtual world. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's been, it's been interesting, but it's been good, but busy. Um, and now, you know, I think I'm just kind of stressing out about what it means to be back on campus, but still meeting with students through Zoom. So it just kind of, you know, if all goes according to plan, I think I'll be back on campus within the next, you know, two, three weeks. And that in itself is just raising so many questions for me. So I kind of just need to slow down and take it day by day. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think things are, are going okay. What about you? Good. Uh, what, what I, 
it's funny that you just said that where it's like you're you're busy and how things are just it's like we're, we're doing things that we've been doing for years right mm -hmm. like we've we're not first year educators or administrators or counselors so it's like we we know what um, incoming ninth grade night is supposed to look like we know what going into the classrooms and starting the master schedule process mm -hmm. but regardless of the years of experience we have it feels like we're back to year one right. like there there have been times where I'm just like oh my gosh I feel like a first year administrator again mm-hmm Right. And it's okay. like, I, from what it sounds like to me, uh, there, there are moments where you're saying that you feel like a first year counselor. Yeah, because I think what like, I think what the general public doesn't take into consideration is that none of us were taught how to do distance learning. Like, I get that there are online schools and that, you know, there, there are online counselors. But for the most part, like none of us really were taught how to engage with students or do this type of work over Zoom. And so we are in some ways first year educators because, you know, yes, we had some um, distance learning last school year for the second semester. But for, you know, this is like our first full school year where we're really doing all of what we're used to doing over zoom so i just i don't know so in some ways i feel like people don't realize or don't take that into consideration we're kind of learning and reshaping some of the things and figuring out what worked and what didn't and trying to make it better in this environment that we might not be in for too many years more right and what you would hope that all administrators do or counselors or teachers do is that every time we do throw an event, we're reflecting on what we did last year and we're like, okay, well, what worked well, what didn't, what could we do better? How could we reach out to more parents? Right. How can we make sure that we're, we're more engaged and clear with the students? And so now this year it's like, we're going through that same thought process and then some. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, everything that I just listed, plus how are we adapting this to the virtual world? Right. And then on top of that is how do, how do we make sure that it's equitable? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there, there's like all these layered tiers. Yeah, there's layers and it takes more time. And so if that time isn't built in ahead of time, it feels rushed. And then that causes stress on all ends. So some of it feels, you know, thoughtful and planned out, but a lot of it feels rushed. So I'm trying to remind myself like, all right, just take this day. Let's, you know, do our best and figure out how to make it even better the next day. So I just kind of do that. I'm doing that right now until I'm told that I need to report back onto my, onto campus or my office. Ooh, and that, that that's another story in itself. Well, yeah. <laughs> with, with that said, and um, as the train is going by here in Jack London, um, you know, our last episode, period two, 
Aline interviewed me and I shared my educational journey. So now I will be interviewing Aline and she will be sharing her journey to becoming a high school counselor and administrator. So with that said, Aline, tell us about your educational journey. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I wanna say I really enjoyed our last episode and hearing yours. And just even like, it took me back to thinking through the schools that I went to um, in Oakland. So I, you know, was also raised, born and raised in Oakland um, with parents from Mexico. My mom was raised in the United States, but my dad um, immigrated here when he was in his late teens. Um, he was, you know, both of my parents were really strict with education and our grades and making sure that we were doing our work and, um, you know, checking our report cards and all that. But, you know, I have to say that my dad was the one that was really pushing, um, you know, being good in school, um, getting education and kind of, you know, doing whatever you can to, to better yourself or advance however you can. Um, and so in my household, there was like no question about if you're going to college, it was more just where are you going to college? Mm -hmm. So growing up, that was the message. And, you know, partly I think it was one because, you know, my dad worked really hard to establish himself. Um, once he, you know, came to the United States and worked really hard. Um, but also I have a sister who's 15 years older than me. So <laughs> you know, in so many ways, like, because my dad was so strict with us going to college, you know, she was in college when I was like in elementary school or younger. So that's all I really knew. So there was no question about it. So really, I, that I put that out there, because those were the messages I was getting, I was supported in that. I was always, I would consider myself kind of like the good student. Um, I feel like, being the middle child, getting good grades was my way of getting attention. Like that was the how I stood out. Um, and so I, you know, and I don't know how many middle children are out there, but hopefully maybe you could relate, but I needed something to like get the attention from my parents or from my family. And also something I was thinking a lot about is that I really loved reading. And, you know, the story you shared um, about your teacher in middle school or elementary school, um, I, I think about that now, like I really enjoyed reading. It, was, it, I don't, it didn't even come from school. I just always remember enjoying reading. Um, and I could share a funny story at another time, but I was the kid that liked to escape into my closet to just read by myself because I enjoyed it that much. Um, but it was also something that I hid for you know, so many different reasons um, from others, but whatever, that's just you know me. So I say that because that was kind of my narrative. It's like I was always this good student. I would worked really hard to try to get good grades. Um, elementary school. When I think about elementary school, so Christina, you went to to Sequoia, right? I went to Sequoia. Yeah, and I went to Redwood Heights, and but again. Remember, we we lived really close to each other, and I actually think I was supposed to go to Sequoia Heights, but my dad, being the person that he uh, was, Sequoia 
Oh, Sequoia, not yeah, not, not Sequoia Heights, just 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 plain old Sequoia. Oh yeah, I went. So I'm getting the two mixed up. So Redwood Heights, you know, was up more in the hills, which was in the hills, right? And so, guys, again, it goes back to my dad. Like he was like, no, I mean. I hear that Redwood Heights is a better school. Somehow, some way, he got me into, me and my brother, into Redwood Heights. So I went to Redwood Heights for elementary school. Um, I feel like I had a pretty good experience in elementary school. My mom was involved, you know, she drove at all the field trips. Um, but I, you know, if I were to think about highlights from elementary school, I just remember being feeling really connected to my elementary school teachers. Um, they like did more kind of that family outreach where I remember like my kindergarten teacher was Miss Ogata and she came to my house for the parent teacher conference. And there was like a picture and this was not just me, like this was what they did. Like they would go to the houses to do parent teacher conferences and I just remember because there's a picture of me sitting in my room at a table, like, like having like tea, like a tea party with her going like over my like assignments. And it was just anyways, I just kind of flash back to that. So just like really, really different experience. But I, you know, I don't, the only negative thing I can remember about elementary school is just feeling like there weren't a lot of students with my background. Um, in the sense that, yes, there were a lot of Latino students, but it was a little bit different in the sense that, like, you know, I would get invited to birthday parties and my, I wouldn't always be allowed to go to them because weekends were reserved for family parties. Um, and that's really who I was raised with were, you know, my cousins and, and family members. And so there was that kind of, like, othering like I wasn't part of all of the crowds because I didn't always get the opportunity to go to the parties um you know later in elementary school I was able to do more of that and I had you know more freedom I guess but that's what stood out for me with elementary school and then go ahead no I was gonna say that I, I could definitely relate to that uh, I mean same thing like on the weekends, Friday to Sunday, I was just always at one of my cousin's houses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, within my side of the family, my dad's side of the family, my first cousins, there was 27 first cousins and all mm -hmm. 27 first cousins, we lived in Oakland, Alameda or San Leandro. So yeah. somebody was always over at each other's houses. But when I'm really thinking back at it, like regardless if we had a family party or not, my par my parents did not let me go over to people's houses. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I've ever been to a birthday party was when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I think, and there were there was a lot of begging. There there yeah. was a whole lot of begging, a whole lot of crying. Yeah, and I think the only reason why it became easier for me to go to those events was because my mom, I could say, was in, like involved and she knew the other parents and, you know, she like knew the kids. And so it was almost like she could like vouch for it and say like, no, it's okay. I know so-and-so or I'm going to, you know, be there for a part of it. So it was like, 
easier to sell my dad on giving me permission. Um, but that's where like, you know, I think about elementary school. And so I don't necessarily, I can kind of connect to the things that I was learning or to who my teachers were, but a lot of it was like the, you know, kind of picking up on what I shared in common with my peers and my classmates and then what was different. And middle school, like going to Bret Hart was like a totally different situation for me. And so you and I kind of flip flop when it came to elementary and middle school because you went to Montera, right? And Right, remember, we didn't go to middle school. We went to junior high oh, right. school. Junior high, yes, we went to junior <laughs> high school, my bad. So junior high, that's like, so being a student at Bret Hart, um, you know, feeling like there were a lot more Latinos there and felt like I connected more to kind of what I was used to at home, but also kind of even being pushed and saying like, oh, you went to Redwood Heights, you have a totally different experience than me. Um, I kind of had it, like that was a time where I started kind of figuring out my identity more. And also I would say a time that I started to consider myself like a mini activist. Cause this is where like, I felt like teachers were talking a lot more about like social justice issues and um, you know, pointing out some of the, like some of the inequities happening even at our school site, um, like around our students of color and, you know, just some of the experiences that we were going through. This was also during a time where, you know, there were different propositions being voted on and a lot of walkouts happening. And I just remember, you know, participating in some of those walkouts, being scared, because again, going back to this whole concept of being a good student and trying to keep up my grades, but knowing that if I walked out and, you know, was part of this, these protests, that I was going to get a call home. So just, you know, really kind of trying to come to terms with like who I wanted to be and also feeling really uncomfortable with some of the stuff that was happening and the conversations that were coming up around, you know, just the different propositions and, you know, 187 was one of them and just feeling like, all right, like I, ha I, I can't just sit, like I literally have to walk out. Um, so that I think was like starting in middle school. This was also the time where, you know, I started like wearing brown lipstick and like hiding it from my parents. Like literally like my dad would drop me off. I'd go to the bathroom, I'd put it on. And then like right after school, I'd figure out a way to like wipe it off and convince my brother not to like tell them. And that was like always what he would like, you know, remind me of because that again, I was trying to figure out who I was, but trying to keep up with that narrative of, you know, being the good student and getting the good grades. Um, I guess like, you know, another thing like with middle school that I think about as it relates to counseling, and I was thinking a lot about this since the last time, Christina, because I think like I focused a lot on high school, but I didn't realize that in middle school, I was actually like, you know what we call like TAs, like the teacher assistants back then mm -hmm. it was um, IWE, like in work experience, remember? independent work experience yeah oh I, I was an IWET I was an IWE too at um since I went to Montera right next door was an elementary school so when I was in IWE I was in uh I was a TA or IWE um, in a 
I want to say it was either a kindergarten class or a first grade class. And that, that was actually a really good experience. I didn't like, so we didn't have that set up at Bret Hart, but I was an IWE for the counseling office, mm. which is joint with the attendance office. And the, like, it tripped me out because I didn't, like, I was like, I didn't really connect to that. And this all makes sense to kind of like the point of where I decided to become a school counselor. I do remember, I don't remember who my counselor was in middle school, but I do remember having conversations with them, but only because I had a period like I was assigned to a period of IWE in the counseling office, you know? So I was like there all the time. Um, so that like, you know, in that some ways, like I had a positive experience with that, with my counselor there because I was assigned to the counseling office. Um, and then high school. So here we go, Skyline High School. And then I started thinking about kind of like the whole Future Teachers Academy and why I joined it. And I think, you know, we, we should like talk about that in general as our experience, but I think I joined it because it was back then it was like those magnet programs. Remember? Right. So it wasn't so, like a pathway, but it was like a magnet program. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to apply to one of those programs, that would kind of get you a spot in a high school that you didn't um, live within the area. Cause back then it was still based on where you lived in Oakland. Cause right. now it's not. Because, because I mean, I may be wrong in this, but I remember a number of our classmates in the future teachers academy, they mm -hmm. were either from like DP Oakland or West Oakland. Mm -hmm the skyline was not their home school right so so that i mean I, I bring that up because it was one way students were able to go to skyline skyline was still my assigned school so it wasn't like i was applying to future teachers academy because it would like help me get to skyline or into skyline um but i remember that process and feeling like oh this sounds interesting um, you know, some of the classes were aligned to like what was interesting to me at that time. Um, as far as like, you know, I didn't, I never really fully thought that I wanted to be a teacher, but I did have, you know, cousins that were studying to be teachers. Um, I know like growing up, like at my house with, within family parties, like I enjoyed playing teacher where I was the teacher and like had my cousin sit while I like wrote on a piece of paper that taped up to my closet. So there was like this idea of like leading others to like learn new things. And it was typically around like a book that I read. So, I mean, I had that experience, like there was that connection of, oh, teaching could be fun. I enjoyed it, but I didn't fully think that I wanted to become a school teacher. When I think about it, it was either I was going to be a lawyer or I was going to be a, a teacher. Like those were the two things I thought about growing up. Ah, uh -huh. yeah, right. Um, so Skyline is kind of where like I continue to to kind of engage in in you know pointing out some of the wrongs um, and experiencing a lot of the issues that we have in, still to this day in our public schools um around like you know access and students of color um 
I was heavily involved with La Raza Unida in high school. Um, I hung out with all the Latinos and I, that's where I felt the most comfortable. Um, I also felt the most protected within that group where I didn't feel like it was wrong of me to, um, you know, get good grades because I was supported with that within that group. Um, and through being, you know, involved in La Raza Unida and ultimately becoming president of La Raza, La Raza Unida, um, trying to push through, you know, representation and just who we are on our campus. Um, but high school was also a time where personally I started experiencing like a lot of mental health issues. Um, that was around the time that my grandpa passed away. And that was like the first major loss in my life. And, you know, started kind of bringing up some of like just grief and how to handle these feelings. And also like dealing with um, just seeing issues on my campus and, this was also around the time, like, you know, it was my senior year where a lot of this stuff was like kind of coming together. But that was also the year of Columbine. You know what? Like, our time at Skyline was pretty hectic. Right. I mean, we, we had a lot of race riots. Yes. Right. So, <laughs> we, I don't know if you remember that. I remember? do. I do remember that. Like, every, every year. It, there was some type of riot. Yeah, and it was always around race. So this is what we're growing up in. This is what high school was. We were being prepared to be like going into like teaching, right? Because that's like the Future Teachers Academy. We were doing a lot of volunteer work with elementary schools because remember I just found those letters um, that we like that we like that we wrote to the teacher that we were going into their classrooms within like, you know, elementary schools in Oakland, um, we're, we're like being confronted with these like physical fights happening on our campus over race. And then we're confronted with Columbine and talking about like bringing guns onto campus. And I struggled with it. Um, I struggled with it because one, it was really scary and like that this happened in in Denver or Colorado, it was like what? Um, and, but also thinking like, well, there were guns on our campus all the time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And um, just like how, and I have a really good friend who was, you know, in, you know, in the neighboring high school in, um, in Colorado when Columbine happened. And so, you know, her and I have talked about this, but so for me in high school, just like, again, like late, like feeling like a mini activist and being involved um, within La Raza Unida and the things that were coming up around the race riots happening on our campus and even within Oakland, um, just like how Columbine brought to the surface this issue of mental health but then schools and like, you know, weapons on school and keeping students safe. And all the while, I'm just like, we've been fearing for these things. Like they're like, this is, this happens to us all the time. 
Like what's to say that someone didn't want to bring that gun out and do something when they had it for protection because of what's happening in our streets. So it just brought up all of these questions for me. And then remember going back to this quite like to this message I was getting growing up that college, it wasn't whether you're going to college is where you're going to college. So let's, let's go back to this whole process of me applying to college at Skyline. Be, naming all the things that I've told you that I, I love to read. I pushed myself to get good grades. I wasn't the best student in high school. I'm gonna be honest. I just, you know, when I worked there, I printed out my transcript because I was curious <laughs> and I wasn't. Oh the, my gosh. I did. <laughs> so you went, you went into Aries and uh, did a cha change of date of the school year. Yes. Wow, I, I'm surprised Aries even dated back to me like too. nine nine two thousand. Mm -hmm. Me too. And so yeah, <laughs> so high school my grades like weren't the best, but I was also super involved in um, you know extracurriculars, and I had a job. I was working. Um, I remember you worked at that bookstore. Mm -hmm. I worked at the in, book in Alameda. In Alameda. So, and, and I think, Delene, that's where I wanted to take you to is yeah. that the whole emphasis about like, I, I talked on it in the last podcast, last episode of my experience with my high school counselor, which was a very positive mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to share your experience because ironically, it's the same counselor. Mm -hmm. So could you please share, <laughs> share that experience? Yeah, so it wasn't positive at all whatsoever. Um, I feel like I, I met with that counselor maybe once or twice. Um, mm. my and remember, like back then, high school for us was 10th, 11th, and 12th. Um, and I remember that because they changed it the year we started high school to ninth through 12th. And so that's why my, my, my um, brother and I started high school the same year. Right. 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 So three years, I feel like I met with him to the counselor twice. Um, total. You're saying twice total. Total. Which if you, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, I said that I met with my counselor once, at least once every marking period. Yeah. And, and for those of you who are not in a semester system or not in the education realm, there are six marking periods or there at, at our school, at our high school, there are, there's, there are six marking periods the entire school year. Yeah. The first time I remember meeting with him was because I was improperly placed into an ELD class um, my first <laughs> year. And I don't know that, I mean, I don't know how that happened, but there was some kind of feeling that it happened based purely on my last name. Um, and there wasn't any protocol or any process that was followed to place students into the correct classes. Um, so that was the first time and it took a, it took a while to get me switched out. Um, you know, yes, I was right speaking Spanish, but at the same time, like I'm, it was pretty fluent in English through elementary school. <laughs> um, so there was, shouldn't have been a question as to whether or not I was improperly placed. Um, and then the second time was 
around the college situation. So it was my, honestly, it was my senior year. So it wasn't even like prepping for, you know, my college list in junior year or any of that, or like making sure I took the SATs, nothing. It was my senior year. And it was like, you know, and still to this day, there's still like senior meetings where like the counselor meets with all the seniors on their caseload in the very, you know, first couple of months of the school year. And this was the, like my meeting with him. And I was expected to like, I was expecting to go in and like talk about my plans because it remember, it wasn't a question of whether or not I was going to college, it was where. So I wanted to talk through like, where should I apply only to be met with this like straight up, like, so where are you going to work once you graduate? Like, wow. Like, what's your, like, what's your, what's your plan to like, you know, <laughs> to get a job once you graduate from high school? And I'm like, but I have a job. I'm working at the bookstore. Like, that's not, you know, I kind of like was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's not, I have other plans. So I got so frustrated. I just remember being pissed leaving there where I didn't even feel like I wanted to engage in the conversation and correct this person who had already just straight up labeled me without looking at my extracurriculars, knowing who I was and what I was doing on the campus or checking, like asking me my goals. There was a straight up assumption made. And so I just remember that and that like pushed me into really thinking through like, what the no like I am never like I that really I go back to that of like why I pushed myself in certain areas of my life like both with education and with career because I never wanted anyone to like doubt me or assume that I couldn't do what I wanted to do um so it was the college outreach counselor a program that I wasn't even in next door who overheard the conversation and pulled me into her office and said I'm gonna help you. Where do you like? What are you thinking about college? So it's it's just very. It, I, I've heard this story before, mm-hmm. and every and each time I hear it, it it makes me sad, and it makes me angry because. I mean, for, for a number of reasons. I mean, one, you're obviously one of my really good friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really sad to hear as a friend, first and foremost, I'm really disappointed that you and sad that you had to go through that, especially since my experience was totally opposite. Right. I, I was never asked where you're going to work. I was never asked what JC you were planning on going to. As a matter of fact, I remember when I told him that I was most likely going to go to a state college, either to the Sonoma State or San Jose State. I remember him even being quite disappointed in that. Yeah. I mean, he was just like, wait, what? Like, you're you're like a, you're an AP 4.0. Oh, plus student, like, and, and you, are you sure you just want to go to a CSU? I mean, I wasn't offended by that. I I was actually, it was, I mean, in a sense that was a compliment, right? But yet yours was like on a totally opposite end of the spectrum. 
Yeah, and Christina, so, well, I was just going to say the one thing, like, you talked about your experience even getting into AP classes. I didn't, I didn't take any AP classes. I think I took an honors class my 10th grade, and that was because that was the course that my counselor from middle school was encouraging me to take when I transferred into high school. Because remember, it was like ninth to 10th grade. So it was the counselor that knew me in middle school that wanted to me to push myself in that way. So I took an mm -hmm. honors class in 10th grade, but did not take any AP courses after that. No one thought that like it was like a conversation that they should have with me about pushing myself academically in that way. Right. And, and I didn't and, have cousins telling me to take AP courses. Right. And, and that's the thing that's crazy too, right? Is that I wasn't, I wasn't automatically, I wasn't automatically placed in AP classes either. I wasn't uh, recommended, maybe not initially. I, I think maybe by my senior year, it was mm -hmm. already assumed, right? Since I was already on the AP track that yeah. I was, you know, they just organically placed me. But I remember when I entered like 10th and 11th grade year, I definitely had to advocate for myself, but that was because my cousins dropped some knowledge on me. Mm -hmm. So it's always that like, okay, well, what, what happened? What, what would have happened to me if I didn't have a family member because I didn't have an educator, a, a counselor or a teacher telling me mm -hmm. just like how you had a counselor to who who inspired you to enroll in an, in an honors class mm -hmm. yeah but it's just a trip like how we both had the same counselor we were both in the future teachers academy and I think that the teachers within that academy were more supportive of me um and like you know my like my English teacher within the future teachers academy i still remember her because you know she did like she tried to push the box she tried to introduce books that were not on you know the the book list she tried to push us and to think in different ways um and to write more like she incorporated like a lot of journaling um and so a lot of reflecting even then and i feel like maybe like you know that just really stood out with me because again it was during a time that I was experiencing like these struggles with mental health and just you know the loss of my grandpa which again I didn't check in with a counselor about in high school it was the teachers that noticed a slip and you know checked in but I wasn't getting any of those like wraparound supports to so you know to help me through these difficult times with all that was going on just personally in my family but then also everything that we had previously talked about with issues around race Columbine and things like that so Aline with your combined experience from elementary school to junior high and high school specifically with your interactions or lack of interactions with your high school counselor how did those experiences impact how you approach being an educator mm -hmm. your 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 practices 
your philosophy, your why mm -hmm. as a counselor slash administrator? Yeah. I think, you know, I didn't know I wanted to become a school counselor until the last year of college. Um, and again, that was because a professor pointed it out and was like asking me and saw the passion I had with working with youth um, and specifically teenagers, because any opportunity I had, I was like working within, you know, an after school program or through AmeriCorps, working at a community center um, and working with teenagers. Um, so I really enjoy like working and I think it was like connecting to my experience and wanting to kind of like make sure that students that look like me didn't experience the same things I did. And so when it clicked for me and when I decided to be a counselor, it was because I realized that I wanted to make sure that students that again, like black and brown students didn't experience what I experienced. I didn't have, like, I wanted to be the counselor that told them everything that they can accomplish or give them the information that they needed or try to connect them to the resources when they needed it. Um, and so really I pushed myself in that way because I wanted to prove this counselor wrong, right? In my own way, mm -hmm. like of being stubborn and pissed off, like I wanted to prove that person wrong to be like, mm -hmm. look at me now. Um, and two, because I wanted to make sure that students didn't have, didn't go through that, that didn't have that experience. So I, I, I go back to that moment a lot. And it's good for me to think about because it does get me through some of those moments where I ask myself, am I doing what's right for my students? Um, and what experience am I providing them? So it totally connects back to all that I went through. Well, I, I, I feel like that's just a lot to, that's just a lot to ponder about. I mean, it's, I, I feel like that's where like the school-wide practices are just super essential. It's, the, the shared vision mm -hmm. and I, I I just remember you know when we were in our credential pro our specifically our admin credential program at Mills College our professors no matter which course it was it was like they always talked about how you always have to reflect on your vision because mm -hmm. the vision is what connects everything together mm -hmm. and and it and it keeps you it keeps staff and students grounded and, and focused and accountable and i feel like that is what was lacking at that time uh, when we were in high school was was the lack of vision uh, the lack of just everyone being on the same page. Mm -hmm. and you, I, I believe you and I, we, we talked about this probably like a, a couple of weeks ago about how like, depending on the teacher that you had, 
or the counselor that you had, like we, we can't coll collectively say that we felt like the overall climate and culture of our school, of our high school experience was that no matter what program you were in, no matter what academy you were in, no matter which teacher you had, no matter what counselor you had, that everyone had a common message, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So the question is, it's like, why did they not have the, a common message? Why, like, I mean, honestly, what I come back to, it's like, if, why are there people that are allowed to like think have assumptions over one like about a group of students over another and how long did that go th like go on right um <laughs> and I think you know you and I should probably like do a whole episode on just counseling in general with our experience of OUSD not as students but as you know administrators because there was and not you know, there were a lot of changes that happened. Um, and they were not, they were not providing support for the students that needed it the most. And I've had conversations with, you know, some friends that graduated after me and um, with the same counselor and had that same experience that I did. So just knowing that there was just all that this was going on for so long pisses me off um but also just can like really grounds me in the work that I'm doing now as a school counselor and even when I was an administrator also like looking at counseling and wanting to work through those that vision and the common message but also breaking down a lot like the gatekeeping that happens um, and looking at placement protocols um, and, and calling them out. Um, so yeah, I just, it's something I, I don't forget obviously and I still get really flustered by it. But my way of making those changes was to, I always think like, you know, what, what good does it do to get mad at this person and like blame them? It's more just like, well, let me show them how wrong they were, even if they never even saw it. Like, I mean, I don't think he ever knew, right? But it was for me, like, let me make it different. So you're, you just said that you don't think he ever knew. So you feel like that experience was a form of implicit bias versus racism no meaning like i don't even think i don't actually know it may have been racism but mm -hmm. um meaning like i don't like he didn't know how far i ended up going you know what i'm saying it's not like i ever went back to my, his office and say hey remember me guess what i'm doing now and guess how many degrees i have like it wasn't that it was more just like i don't like i never i don't think he knew just exactly what happened right and when you returned as an administrator he he was already retired yeah which ironically I, you would have been his supervisor because you were over in charge of the counseling <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay well with that said i i feel like that is a perfect time to close this 
podcast episode. Um, thank you for tuning in. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode. If you haven't listened to episode two yet, we highly suggest that you take a listen because this episode and the last episode are side-by-side comparisons of my educational journey and Aline's educational journey, which is, once again, it's super interesting because it's like we're both the same age, we're both women of color, mm-hmm. we, we both from Oakland, and, but yet, and we live like maybe two miles apart from each other, but yet we had a very, I shouldn't say very, but we, we definitely had a different experience. Yeah. And we both ended up at San Jose State. Both, mm-hmm. got, both ended up going to grad school, getting master's. And then both of us went to Mills to get our admin credential and our doctorate. And so we'll definitely talk about how that connects to where we're at now. So stay tuned for that one. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for tuning in. And Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Bye, Christina. Bye, bye, Aline. Before we get into this episode, we want to quickly remind you about our coaching program, our one-on-one coaching program for school leaders. Through our experiences and our understanding of the role of the school leader, we want to support other school leaders. So far in our coaching sessions, we have helped our school leaders, one, reflect on their vision and mission statement, prioritize roles and responsibilities, identify protocols and processes that need updates, modifications, or just simply missing, and identify strengths, skills, and talent at school sites that could bring the vision and mission alive. Because the admin or school leaders cannot accomplish student achievement alone, this is a community effort. Our coaching program includes the following, well, two options semester long or one school year long weekly sessions depending on the school leaders needs with personalized objectives and goals which helps school leaders reflect plan and organize using equity and educational justice as the focus through our coaching program school leaders will feel empowered to make the difficult decisions necessary to support our BIPOC students learn how to transition from an educator ally to a co-conspirator have a support system free of judgment, grow in their practice, and prevent and find prevent burnout and find more balance with your personal life. If you want more information or you want to get in contact to schedule a clarity call, check out the link in our bio and show notes. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Alina Christina. Check out our content and engage in a conversation with us through the comments or DMs. Also, please help us grow and share this with your friends, colleagues, as well as post on your social media. We look forward to next time. Take it easy.